0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, October the 31st, 2023, Halloween in the United States. I'm not sure if uh, it's a festival, a holiday that's celebrated universally, but There is another Halloween going on, the Halloween, of course, of climate change. uh, A true nightmare. No tricks, no treats there. It's all tricks, all punishments. Bad piece of news out today. Uh, The window, this is according to the New York Times, the window for meeting key climate goal is even narrower than we thought. Um, Limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius would be harder than ever. We've heard these warnings before sometimes they don't mean anything. It's very hard to contextualize. Meanwhile, another piece of news today that in some ways is rather bracing is that a, um, a, a climate catastrophe might have snuffed out the dinosaurs. A report suggests that um, dust might have snuffed them out as a consequence of a huge uh, atmospheric experience event. Uh, many millions of years ago and it's bracing in the sense that it reminds us of the existential quality of climate change but of course most of us are confused often rather bored it's technical it's contentious and it's important to make sense of it my guest today uh, Antonello Provenzale is the director of the Institute of Geosciences and Earth Resources uh, very credible uh, set of institutions based in Pisa in Italy, and the author of an important new book, History of Climate Change, From the Earth's Origins to the Anthropocene. And uh, Antonello is joining us from northwest Italy on the coast of the Ligurian Sea. Uh, Antonello, your book uh, is a history of climate change. How how, How controversial is not just your book but the narrative are are scientists mostly in agreement on this stuff
1: well hello everybody first um yeah i mean the the book speaks about the story and the mechanism of climate change and these are i would say known with some precision less known the the more far away in time we go in the past But the scientific community is working on that since a long time. And there is uh, a lot of debate, of course, on the specific issues, but uh, it's it's a solid branch of uh, uh, physics and paleoclimate and that. Coming to our days, uh, the the, the whole scientific community, I would say, agrees on the fact that the last 100 years saw an increase of temperature related to the increase of uh, uh, carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere um, due to the effect of uh, uh, human activities like uh, burning fossil fuels fuels basically, not only, but mainly that. And so this is the whole community agrees on that. And uh, I think that the voices that deny these are, are very scattered, few, and do not have any Solid uh, basis to to deny this uh, this fact that is proved not by models but by the data we have now more than ever, thanks to satellites, networks of observatories, uh, extended global observations, and everything shows that there was a rapid growth of the temperature, which is on the on the grand scale is one degree. I mean the, the planet had many more. Uh, Fluctuations in the past, but they were um, slower. And most importantly, there were not uh, billions of humans with the fixed infrastructures as there are now. And the proofs that the change in the last 100 years uh, is due to anthropic <clears throat> activities is quite, quite clear. I mean, one has inventories of the emission of CO2. Uh, there is clear the chemical, and chemical and physical effect of uh, carbon dioxide on the greenhouse uh, effect, and and also there are other other proofs that this comes
0: in fact from burning fossil fuels. So, the people who deny it, the climate change deniers, uh, are they mostly do you think financed or fueled by politics or some other sort of propaganda? What explains? some people, and it is only some people's denial of all this?
1: Um, well, there is no proof that um, they they are or were funded by specific uh, groups or interests. In general, I would say, I would distinguish between two different type of deniers. Some of them are real are true scientists that are considering the difficulties in modeling future climate. And so very often, some of them uh, put, I mean, put on some some caveats and comments and criticism that are very useful to advance the whole field of modeling. But no serious scientist is really questioning the data that show what has been happening in the last hundred years. And uh, I think that most of the people who are now uh, deniers are not have not studied climate in the past, they are not climate scientists and uh, they basically, it's more for maybe the desire of being visible, you know, if uh, everybody says one thing based on on data and on boring data and you say something completely different, maybe you you attract more attention. Uh, There are also people who say that the earth is flat and people who deny Darwinian evolution. So, I mean, I think it's the same kind of uh, category.
0: We are speaking with Antonello Provenzale, the author of an important new book, History of Climate Change, um, which is an overarching analysis from the Earth's origins to our own age. Uh, Antonello, uh, Antonella, uh, you also, as I mentioned at the beginning, you're the director of the... Uh, of, the, uh, uh, of, a, of a leading institute, uh, the Earth Sciences Institute in Italy. What drew you to this? There's a nice photo of you in sunglasses, uh, or skiing, or certainly in the yeah, snow. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Were you originally drawn to this because of your love of nature, of the outdoors? Right, yeah, of course, yes.
1: Uh, I've been uh, working since a long time on uh, what is called geophysical fluid dynamics. Uh, so it's the dynamics of the atmosphere, the ocean, and all the fluids that are on Earth and, and beyond Earth. And I've been working on this with, with many friends all over the world, including, including the US. And then slowly I moved to the, to be more interested to, into the climate dynamics. So we, we even had a small uh, collection of essays on, on the fluid dynamics of climate and on ecosystems, and currently my main interest is in, in, in the interaction between biosphere and geosphere, I mean, ec- ecosystems, living organisms, and the physical and chemical processes. And yes, it's basically for my, my passion to, to stay in the outdoors. And then in that photo, I was not skiing, well, I was in the snow, but it was taking measurements uh, on, uh, on uh, carbon dioxide fluxes between uh, the the soil, the vegetation, which was covered with snow, the snow and, and the atmosphere in, in Valle d'Aosta, in the in the area close to the Mount Blanc.
0: Uh, Antonella, tell me a little bit about your institute, the Institute of Geosciences and Earth Resources. As I said, it's based in Pisa, but I know you've got offices all over Italy. Are you state finance? What work do you guys yeah.
1: do? Yeah, it is um, institu- It's one of the institutes of the National Research Council of Italy, so it's a let's say government uh, institution, academic, but but uh, a bit like NCAR, just to make the idea of what the kind of things. And then th- there are various institutes. Our one is uh, is devoted mainly to geochemistry, biogeochemistry, geology, earth sciences, and also apart from climate. And paleoclimate, and so we do this work. Uh, the, the institute is funded by by the state, but the all the projects are basically external projects, e- either European projects, and the, the funding comes from research projects that have to be present. I mean, uh, presented, approved, and and then they are mostly European projects or, or or national projects, but on a competitive basis. This is true for almost any institute. In in Italy and for most of Europe.
0: Antonello, I know I was looking through some of your white papers that obviously rather technical impact on mountain areas, uh, on the Mediterranean Sea in terms of the plastics, and then a new study on the expected drought in northern Italy in future decades. Um, Is Italy one of the centers of, of climate change in the sense that Italy would be dramatically transformed? It's economy, it's tourism, it's wine industry its agriculture how will all this impact on italy unless we address climate change italy is one of the countries i think most universally loved in the world for its beauty its outdoor beauty in particular
1: right um the the effects of climate change are not homogeneous so there are some areas which uh, are more exposed than others the the most exposed one is, is the arctic of course where well, we also work, anyway. Italy itself uh, is in the Mediterranean Basin, and one of the main issues here is the uh, increase in the in, in droughts, in the uh, occurrence, frequency, and intensity of droughts. This is true for the whole Mediterranean Basin, and it's visible from, from the data already, and it's expected to increase in the future. And so this could um, be very important for, for agriculture, but also for tourism, also for many other uh, aspects of the economic life. And the other point is that uh, the it's the events of the precipitation events are becoming stronger. This is uh, happening again in the Mediterranean, but also in northern Europe, and also in many other parts of the world, um, where the precipitation events can be more concentrated and more intense. So we have this this dichotomy, this, this, this paradox of having long periods of droughts, longer than in the past, and much stronger and much more intense precipitation events with all the uh, corollary of floods and, and other problems. Another issue is the fires, wildfires, which mm. is, uh, uh, again, there was a lot of effort in order to develop prevention measures for, for fires and control measures. But if the temperature is is rising further and further, these will not be enough. And then there will be uh, the expectation for for a significant increase of burned area. So, yes, the Mediterranean and Italy in particular are very much exposed. Another area which is exposed to droughts is exactly the the west of the United States. I mean, the north. Where I am,
0: yeah. And we've done a number of shows on fires in California. I'm, I'm assuming that. Some of the threats in California and in Italy are rather similar.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe the, the, the reason for the insurgence of fire are slightly different, but the, the effect, you know, in, in the Mediterranean, most of the fires are ignited directly by humans, either by accident or by on purpose. But that is, is an unpredictable, this is a criminal act, but uh, the area that is burnt depends very strongly on the climatic conditions, on whether there is drought, whether there is f- dry fuel, and so on. So what we are studying is the amount, the area. So not so much the insurgence of the fire, but the, the size of the fire. Which uh,
0: Antonello, on. a lot of people use the word existential in terms of this crisis. Would you use that word? It's certainly
1: a serious crisis. Uh, it, I, I tend to, to, well, uh, okay. I don't think this is a crisis for the planet in itself, because as we have seen, the, I mean, I'm trying to tell in the book that the planet went through all sorts of catastrophes, from from giant meteorites to enormous volcanic eruptions, and so on and so on, and always over. Well, I mean, went through. I mean, overcame that. Uh, the biosphere always survived but at the price of losing, for example, in some cases, 90% of the living species, and taking them a few million years to recover. So, I think that this could be very dangerous for for us humans, Uh, maybe not in terms of survival, maybe a group of hunter-gatherers would survive, but certainly for our society. What I especially fear is the fact that if the drought becomes very bad, let's say in Africa, I'm thinking of the European case, but the same thing happens in Asia and in America, uh, then there are millions of people who cannot live there anymore and will move and there will be a general instability. We see the first signs of geopolitical instabilities amplified, not generated, but amplified by climate change in in the future. They could be generated. And so we can go towards a a collapse of our society or a a loss of uh, democracy, which in the moment is quite, I mean, in in trouble all over the world. And then going towards an authoritarian society or something, which is, looks like. a
0: Yeah, dystopian society. You you made an interesting um, TED speech recently. Uh, talking about climate inequalities and, and you argued there is no be-humanity, in other words, no, uh, we can't right. live in a world where the privileged have one kind of climate and the underprivileged another kind.
1: Wait, think of Blade Runner, right? I mean, this is a, a very good example of what we don't want. Or Brazil, even worse.
0: Yeah, and both movies, of course. In Brazil, so, I mean the movie, not... Yeah, movie. I know, I know, I know. Uh, And you think those are not purely fictional, a Blade Runner or Brazil-style future in climate terms?
1: Well, this is not only climate, right? I mean, this is also economy and society, and that's much more difficult to predict. It's clear that if we have a climate which is a little crazy with very heavy rains and disasters and droughts uh, and agriculture that's collapsing, then everything becomes... uh, very much complicated, and the, the easy solution of putting borders and and, and armed um, tanks or people at the border and shooting everybody who is trying to cross is is becomes closer and closer. So that I think it's really the climate crisis, which is much faster than expected. Uh, the, the the New York Times was saying that, but it's true. I mean, all the, the models gave a, a slower pace um then then it could be could be a trouble for for for, for society i mean the society already not especially just but uh, it could be become even more unjust
0: we're speaking with antonello provenzale the author of an important new book history of climate change i want to thank uh, liberties a quarterly journal of culture and politics they're bringing you this show I'm going to run a short ad for liberties and then we'll be back with Antonello Provenzali to talk about what exactly we can do to head off this existential crisis. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties, it's not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're talking with Antonello Provenzale, the author of History of Climate Change. Antonello, we've done many shows on this, and our authors differ somewhat. Simon Sharp was on the show recently talking about intensifying. Uh, our fight against climate change. Others believe that maybe business or technology can fix the problem and it's not quite as intense. What's your take on addressing this? What do we need to do? And what kind of time frame do we have? Um.
1: Okay. I think that the time frame is difficult to estimate, but it's short in terms of 10, 20 years or so. It doesn't mean that in 20 years there will be the apocalypse it means that the temperature will continue to to rise and then uh, the the effects will be important now before there was this uh, discussion on the 1.5 degrees or two degrees more with respect to the pre-industrial so it's 0.5 degrees more than today or one degree more than today now this is a sort of a speed limit right because Beyond that, the danger, the probability of disasters increases. It's not that at two degrees there is the collapse. Uh, in fact, there, there is a lot of work on, on a lot of um, systems, uh, from, from corals to mangroves to agriculture to Arctic to fisheries, that show that there are, a breakpoint can be somewhere between two and three degrees more than the pre-industrial. So between one and two degrees more than today. So, if we stay below one point five degrees, it's safe, sort of. Uh, I mean, it's no worse than today. But if we go beyond that, uh, it becomes worse and worse. And so, the, the two degree limit uh, it is is probably something that we could achieve if we try. The one point five probably cannot achieve, but the but the two degrees we could. And then we know we know we, we estimate that most of the uh, problems will will become very severe beyond that very severe means that the cost of repairing the damage will be much more much much more than the cost of the energy transition which is also high of course so coming to the to the to what can be done well the only thing to do is to reduce uh, co2 emissions carbon dioxide emissions that is the thing to do the main thing to do which means transforming the energy production systems and transforming also some industrial for example the production of cement is also producing a lot of uh, co2 with the current technology how to do that well that is not easy i mean it's easy to say it is not easy to do it so i think that here it's needed pragmatism realism Uh, it's it's wrong to say it's not a problem deny it it's also wrong to say we are lost repent because we are going to to die all of us together, uh, I mean, both things are are extreme. We should case by case look at what what can be done. I mean, for example, for the ozone layer, the reduction of CFC was achieved. It was a much simpler problem than than the energy transition, but also the energy transition is possible. Uh, It should probably not be one form of energy, would be many forms of energy. Uh, different depending upon the geographical area and the the season and everything will require a lot of communication between different countries, for example, in Europe, but also elsewhere. And then it's costly, but it should be done. The important thing is to do it in order to have a better technology and not uh, an obsolete technology like the one that we have now. I mean, we want to go to a better technology. Uh, to, 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 to something that is cleaner because it's more advanced. We don't want to go back to... The so so uh,
0: there are no magical fixes, I'm guessing, Antonello. No, no, uh, no. no technology in the future that will allow us to bury carbon or throw it into space. But what about some of the debates on wind and solar versus nuclear? What, what's your take on nuclear energy?
1: It depends on the
0: country. I'm I'm not opposed to nuclear
1: uh, in principle, but there should be uh, there should be a lot of uh, clarity on what is the risk because we have seen two episodes which were very bad. I mean Fukushima and and before Chernobyl for very different causes. Uh, if Fukushima was not a human error. I mean, it was, was uh, uh, just an accident. And, and so the first thing is the evaluation of the risks. And the second thing is the fact what to do with the wastes, uh, with nuclear waste. So uh, in principle, I think we should be open, uh, but but with a serious discussion of what are the pros and cons. I mean, every product form of energy production has some effect on the environment. If you build a dam for hydropower, then you may destroy the the fluvial ecosystems below, unless you do certain things. Wind energy uh, could have uh, problems for for birds and for other flying animals. Uh, At the same time, for example, wind farms offshore are a very good solution in many cases. It's not without impact, but it's probably one of those that have the lowest impact. So in general, I think, again, there should be a discussion between politically neutral and technically trained people on the various forms of But
0: we know, Antonello, that that's all very well, but there are complicated politics of this, both domestically and internationally. How much of a problem is the political dimension, the absence of international agreements, perhaps even organizations? Is that one of the things that most concerns you? Yeah,
1: uh, well, you see, after the, the, the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement, basically, some countries uh, want to follow uh, these. Uh, the, what well, to try to achieve these these limits? And, and Europe, is certainly um, one of these. Uh, countries, other countries, is not that they deny the problem. I mean, no country is really denying the problem, but may have other priorities development priorities economic development priorities so the the situation is very complicated there's no authority that is that can uh ask for for immediate action and that is certainly complicating the issue a lot i mean
0: do we have models of international organizations that are working um the un is controversial are they are they realizing the promise of the un or simply reiterating why some of these international organizations are just vast powerless and absurd bureaucracies
1: the you you see the i mean what the main organization is is ipcc which comes to the world was fun founded by the world meteorological organization ipcc does not do research in itself it just collects the research that was done by the community and published so peer-reviewed and then all all sources are available and put Put forward uh, uh, reports uh, every four or five years. Now, this is not a political decision. It's just a, uh, a set of information that politicians should, uh, policymakers should, should, should take. This is a good organization. It was criticized, but by, by very few people. I mean, overall, it, it's really the scientific community that's represented there. Uh, there are a lot of other. Uh, entities from, from more or less, more or less UN that try to do things like for droughts, for example, for for many other issues. Uh, but there's the lack of a, of a uh, shared governance of the problem. This One is, of your
0: best known young environmental activists in Europe talks about the blah blah of, um, of, of international organizations. Do you share some of her impatience?
1: It, Partially. I mean I think that that she's right in in, in, in showing this impatience because uh, the the young younger people must be impassioned because this is their future. Uh, the COP, the various COP that followed, one after the other, uh, have achieved much less than expected and hoped for, but they did but they did achieve something. There's the new one uh in the in the next month uh and then uh, it will be probably will not achieve much more but you know step by step the problem is that if we had 100 years the pace could be okay if we have 10 years then the pace may be a little too slow but it's very difficult to 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 go beyond the, i mean you see what happens i mean in the world now i mean there are emergency that are just not in two years from now, but tomorrow. I mean, wars in in, in some of the more uh, the the, the, the more, more critical parts of the of uh, of uh, the Western worlds, uh, and uh, there are pandemics, there are economic crises. So it's clear that politicians may have many many different. Um, uh, um, pushes from different things. I mean, there was a very interesting speech by the Ministry of um, uh, Environment of the United uh, Arab Emirates in a a conference I was at. I participated in uh, two weeks ago, the Arctic Circle Conference on on the Arctic. And and then uh, she was saying this. I mean, politicians have many, many people and groups that that push in different directions, and that can be difficult. Uh, One interesting thing is that we scientists have um, a very clear view of what is uncertainty, because we have results, and each result has a certain uncertainty, which we want to reduce, but will never be zero. And politicians are very, um, they don't like this, this uncertainty. They want to have certainties. On the other hand, for example, speaking with military people, they they know perfectly well what is uncertainty. And so it's interesting that politicians should be more brave sometimes. Finally,
0: Antonello, um, in your book you note that there have been climate warming periods in history, in some ways perhaps even more than our own, but there are two big problems these days. The first is the speed of the rise in temperature, and the second is that human population is much greater than it has been in the past. Is one other way to address this crisis, to address the issue of population too?
1: Well, the... Yeah, I mean, uh, the population should not grow too much, but, you know, the the best uh, way to, to limit the growth of the population is... Uh, is uh, economic uh, welfare, I mean, to, to, to be richer. I mean, typically it's the most poor uh, societies that have a lot of uh, uh, children uh, well, in most parts of the world. Uh, when when, uh, when the, there is some, some economic uh, health state, I mean, some, some uh, economic uh, health, then, then almost naturally the number of children decreases. So I think that uh, rather than forbidding this or that, or, or distributing uh, pills here and there, the best thing is to have a, a better uh, distribution of richness, which is, by the way, becoming more and more uh, concentrated in few hands inside countries and across countries. So this is also a problem because uh, you know there is this uh, Gini index that tells you how mm. is the how the wealth is distributed and, uh, and when uh, when everybody has the same amount of money they would be a flat curve the distribution while on the other hand there is a a curve and some of the richer uh, people have stay in this top part and that world there and what we would like is to have something which is reasonable and nobody's really below the the the, the threshold of poverty uh, so but but now this curve is becoming, it's going up, 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 up to the beyond the roof. And this is in itself a source of instability. I mean, it's not a moral judgment. Uh, it's just a source of instability because the decision is in the hands of very few people. I mean, very few, <laughs> three, four, five. And this is, they can be the wisest of the world, but, uh, you know, maybe they make, they also make mistakes. So this is something that is... Uh, connected somehow to the solutions. Also, you know, who is paying for the for the climate crisis? Who is paying for the change in the energy production? This is a, an important discussion. I mean, is the producers or is the consumers, which are often under industries, on how can be shared between the two? But who is paying for the damages of the, of the climate crisis? Well, it's basically the government, so it's the taxes of the citizens. So it's not the same people who pay for the doing or not doing action so all this is an important portion i mean for a simple minded scientist like me it's too complicated but uh, but i think these are parts that are very important